It is a, a song by TLC. <laughs> Don't go chasing waterfalls. Stick with the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. There's really no reason why that's been on my heart. It's my nervous song. So when you're nervous, I don't know if you have a song. At, up next is the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in West Philadelphia, but I'm going to spare you of that, okay? Uh, I think I'm going to start with a prayer, if that's all right. So, Father, we love you. You are holy. You are good. We worship you and you alone. We are here for you. Father, I just thank you for this family that has been so encouraging. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, if you um, want me to sit down and shut up right now, I will. Because I want you to have your way this morning. That is my ultimate goal, Father. Less of me, more of you. Have your way, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so my name is Corey Culp. Uh, my wife is back there, April Culp. You may know her as the gardening lady. She likes to garden. She likes, she likes to garden. Anybody? Okay, got a few. All right. And uh, we have two wonderful children in the Sunday School Wells and Brand. We love them so much. And for those of you who have had your parents come and see you preach whenever you've, you've been up here, I just want to let you know that my in-laws are back there. I didn't want to one-up anybody. But my in-laws love me so much that they came from Texas to come see me this morning. So actually, they want me to hurry up so they can play with the grandkids. All right. Chris Miller, before we, um, before we had our service this morning, we were praying this morning. Chris Miller pretty much prayed my sermon. So Chris, you can come up here and speak anytime you want to and just tell me to sit down. Thank you, Chris. All right. Next slide, Mr. Gavin. So I wanted to welcome everybody with a Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Anybody? In my time when I was in Dallas, I was part of a Messianic Jewish synagogue for a very brief point in time. And every Saturday they had Shabbat, which is Sabbath, a peaceful Sabbath upon you. And every time we would speak to somebody, we would begin every conversation with Shabbat Shalom. Oh, man. That was good. Thank you very much. All right. Yeshua is Hamashiach. Thank you. Yeshua is Hamashiach. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus is the Messiah. So we're in the book of Hebrews, right? Written to Jewish Christians that were well-versed in the feasts of the, the seven feasts of Israel, the tabernacle. Yeshua is Hamashiach. Jesus is the Messiah. They were well-versed in so many pieces of the Old Testament that sometimes we take for granted as Christians. We forget the essential roots of the Old Testament and bypass them and stay in the New Testament. And I really, really, really love so much the Old Testament. And I wish I could get really deep in that today, but I'm gonna, we're going to stay a little bit more surface level. So we're going to be talking today, Hebrews 9. The tabernacle is in Hebrews 9. We're going to talk about the furniture pieces and the significance that we can extract from them as New Testament Christians, New Covenant Christians. So, I'm going to start with this. The tabernacle is a meeting place. And my favorite thing about God 
is that he likes to meet with his people. He wants to dwell with his people. And my ultimate desire in being up here is to invite you to meet with God. And that's part of the reason why we changed the order of the service this morning. You might have noticed we just had one song. And that's because I don't want to culminate this service with the sermon. I want to culminate this service with what God wants to speak to you. I hope that something I say up here may, may lie in your spirit, but ultimately what means the most to you is what God has to say to you. And that may be something I say up here, but it may not be. Because I believe that information plus the Holy Spirit equals revelation. Okay, so I'm going to be quick up here because I've noticed where man's hand is heavy, God's hand is light. And where man's hand is light, God's hand is heavy. So I'm going to get out of the way. So let's start with the tabernacle. I was taught that the tabernacle was about a protocol, and it is. In Old Testament, the tabernacle was a very strict protocol that the priests and the high priests would follow to get into the presence of God. But for us, I no longer believe the tabernacle is about protocol, but we can take principles away from it to honor the holiness of the Lord. And just as you may arrange your home in a certain manner, so God arranged his house for specific purposes. And the innermost room in the tabernacle is where he dwelled. It was called the Holy of Holies. And to quote Zach Neese, he said, You were saved for more than forgiveness. You were saved for more than singing songs and sitting through sermons. You were saved for more than Sunday school and Easter pageants and personalized pews. You were saved for God. And the closer you come to him, the more you resemble your true purpose. So, Mr. Gavin, if we can go to the next slide. Hebrews 9, verses 1 through 10 is where we'll begin. That first plan contained directions for worship and a specially designed place of worship. A large outer tent was set up. The lampstand, the table, the bread of presence were placed in it. This was called the holy place. Say the holy place. Thank you very much. Then a curtain was stretched and behind it a smaller inside tent set up. This was called the Holy of Holies. Say Holy of Holies. Thank you very much. In it were placed the gold incense altar and the gold-covered ark of the covenant containing the gold urn of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, the covenant tablets, which were the Ten Commandments, and the angel wing shadowed mercy seat, the cherubim that shadowed the atonement seat. But we don't have time to comment on these now. After this was set up, the priests went about their duties in the large tent, only the high priest entered the smaller inside tent and then only once a year, offering a blood sacrifice for his own sins and the people's accumulated sins. This was the Holy Spirit's way of showing with a visible parable that as long as the large tent stands, people can't just walk in on God. Under this system, the gifts and sacrifices can't really get to the heart of the matter, can't assuage the conscience of the people but are limited to matters of ritual and behavior. It's essentially a temporary arrangement until a complete overhaul could be made. This is the word of the Lord. I thought I'd forget that. Okay. All right. So let's walk through the Old Testament. Let's walk through the tabernacle just briefly, and let's extract some principles from the Old Testament that apply to us today. Next slide, Mr. Gavin. We are, so this is a picture. Oh man, that's a little blurry. Okay. So 
This is the overall tabernacle right here. We enter into his gate with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. This is where all people had access, including the, the priests and all people would spend time in what is called the outer court. The outer court had two main pieces of furniture, the altar of sacrifice and the brazen labor. Sacrifice first, brazen labor next. The inner court and the holy place had what was called the table of showbread or shoebread, the golden lampstand, and the golden altar of incense. Okay, I'm trying to give you an entire view of the tabernacle before we move forward, okay? And then the holy of holies, so y'all said holy place, then you said holy of holies, was where God's presence dwelled. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. We're going to start first with the brazen altar. Next slide, Mr. Gavin. Here are the principles that we can extract from the brazen altar. Firstly, we have to remember that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for us. He is the lamb that was slain. He was the Passover lamb. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was supposed to be for us was put upon him. Number one, Jesus is, he paid the price on the altar. But here's the thing. We also must put ourselves on the altar. He who seeks to gain his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for Jesus' sake will find it. In Romans 12, 1, verse, uh, yeah, 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship. And then they say, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. We know that the servant is not above the master. We are not above Jesus. He was the lamb that was slain. He paid the price, but we are also to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. So my question to you is that we must ask ourselves, are you on the altar? Are you on the altar? You're on the altar if you're no longer fighting for yourself. When it comes to a relationship, if you're keeping score, you're both going to lose. Are you on the altar? The next piece of furniture, the brass labor. So the altar of sacrifice, then the brass labor. I want you to picture a brass bird bath filled with water. It was filled with water for washing, ceremonial cleansing. And we, as New Testament Christians, are washed with the water of the word. We must become aware in our heart of hearts the true nature of God, and likewise, our true nature. When we know God, we can see ourselves clearly. When we know the nature of God, you can truly see who you are. We see ourselves in the brass mirror. They didn't have traditional mirrors back then, but brass actually showed your reflection. So they could see themselves when they got to the brass labor. A.W. Tozer states that what we think about God is the most important thing about ourselves. What you think about God is significant, and how you see yourself is significant. The question we ask ourselves at the brass labor, do you see yourself properly through the Word of God? Moving into the next slide, Mr. Gavin, and that tent right there is now where we are at this point, and that's a, a pretty awesome internet slide that I took right there. So, um, if you are not a priest, you would end your visit in the outer court. You would not move into the holy place, and that would be the end of it. But let me tell you something. You are made to be a priest. You were born to be a priestly kingdom. 
You were born to minister to the Lord and get close to him. You were born for this. This is your inheritance as the people of God. And this is the privilege of children of the king. The first piece of furniture that you come up to in the holy place on the right-hand side is called the table of shoe bread or the table of showbread. And this represents intimacy with Jesus. The bread, there's 12 loaves of bread on the table of showbread. Each was pierced. Kind of cool. There's some beautiful pictures of Messiah in the Old Testament. Each, each piece of bread was pierced. We come near to Jesus. On the, on the opposite side, you see the menorah, the lampstand, the golden lampstand. Everything was gold in here, by the way. Everything on the outer court was brass. Everything in here is gold, representing God. And that was the only light, was the lampstand there. And the lampstand actually was said in Leviticus to illuminate the table of showbread, representing the Holy Spirit that illuminated Jesus. The golden lampstand is said to illuminate directly the table of showbread and that empowers us to do the will of our Father. So we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And then the last piece of furniture, the altar of incense, can be seen as a symbol of the prayers of God's people. The altar of incense burned continuously, representing the need to pray continuously. So this is the altar of incense right here. Those are the three pieces in the holy place. The high priest, having offered all these, setting up everything properly, would then move into the Holy of Holies. So stay with me. I know this is getting a little laborious. But the high priest could then move into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the Israelite people. So, Gavin, next slide. So what's the point? The point is God's presence. The Holy of Holies is where God's presence was. That was the point of all of this. The veil was torn for a reason. If you know it, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. The veil was torn for a reason to allow us entrance into the Holy of Holies. That is God's desire. We know that in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Beginning in Eden, to the priesthood, to the tabernacle, to the temple, to God's desire for a new heaven and new earth to be fused together in the end of times. God's desire is to dwell with his people. I'm trying to tell you God desires you. He desires your heart. He wants you to come near to him. That is the point of the tabernacle. Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 21 states that, So friends, we can now without hesitation walk right up to God into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is the body, is his body. The Lord initially wanted all Israelites to be priests, and he wants us as his priesthood. Next slide, Mr. Gavin. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 through 18 says, Whenever though they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil, and there they are, face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old, constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured much like our Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. The point is God's presence, guys. Next slide. Bill Johnson states, and for all the charismatics in here, as Jay told me earlier, you're going to enjoy this. For everybody else, you're going to cringe a little bit. Sorry about that. Bill Johnson, there's nothing worth uh, more on this earth 
than encountering his manifest presence and responding to the invitation to know and be known by him. It is what we were made for, what we were saved for, and the only thing that will satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. You were made for God's presence, guys. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of personal testimony in just a moment, but it has been the difference in my life. God's presence has been the difference in my life. So a better covenant. So I've, I've spoken to you about the tabernacle and everything, every ritual down to the dimension, down to how it was to be set up. Was, God was very specific about the tabernacle, but God has given us a better covenant. I'd like to quote Joshua Roy real quick. Sitting in the back over there. Jesus meets all of these requirements and puts an end to it. So everything I've talked to you about the tabernacle. The old covenant, it's perfect. The problem is it's external and we can't do it. We can obey him from up close, so close that he's inside of us, but we can't obey God from a distance. The old covenant caused us to be pushed away from God. The new covenant invites us to come closer. Jeremiah 31 verse 33 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. We have trouble with intimacy. We have trouble with vulnerability. It's our closeness to God that enables us to obey. The closer we get to God, the more obedient we are. The Israelites did not want to be close to God, but could also not obey him from afar. It's not prescriptive. It's relational. God wants that relationship. He did not want to give us a prescription. So freedom in the new covenant. Freedom in the new covenant so the Lord can parent from the inside out. The Lord's desire was not external control. And I'm going to relate this to me as a father and my wife as a mother. We talk about this a lot. God did not want external control. And our goal as parents, for my wife and I, our goal as parents is to parent from the inside out for our children. I think that's the Lord's desire as well. We want to grow our children. We want to cultivate trust and kindness and freedom and patience and all the fruit of the Spirit within our children. But we want that to come from the inside out. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And I think for most parents, sometimes the goal becomes raising children to teach them to obey first. We feel like we have to get them to obey before anything can occur. From the time that we meet our children at birth, our efforts are directed towards shaping their wills and their wants, shaping them to how we want them to behave. And that's important. Obedience is an important part of our relationship with our children, but it's not the most important quality. Jesus promoted relationship above rules. And there's a huge difference between a culture where obedience and compliance are the bottom line and a culture where relationship and empathy is the bottom line. My desire when, I first, when we first birthed our children, and as a principal, is I wanted top down, you're going to do what I say, child, when I say it. And I tell you that that was my innate desire, and I still struggle with it sometimes. There's fear when my children start misbehaving. There's fear of public perception. There's fear of what will these children become. There's fear of, I'm a principal. What is it going to look like if my children are misbehaving? But I, I noticed that I would discipline them from that fear. And it wasn't for a love in their hearts. 
And the more that I have relinquished control, the more that I have desired to connect with their hearts and parent them with love and empathy, the better their behavior has become. And it's kind of like that Chinese finger trap. You pull, 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 and nothing happens. But sometimes you kind of let go of control, and then you can be released. There's something about God's kindness leading us to repentance that I, as a father, am experiencing with my children. And the closer I get to that, the closer I get to his heart, and the more that my children, I think, can feel his love. Next slide, Mr. Gavin. So we work out our freedom. I want my children to learn to deal with what is going on inside of them. I want them to learn how to manage their freedom. We as Christians, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are free. You are free in Christ. But in my mind, we're still working out our freedom. God is not scared of your freedom. He has backup plans on top of backup plans on top of backup plans on top of backup plans. His desire remains the same. He wants us to draw near to him. He's not afraid of the decision you make because he's got a GPS rerouting system. God's will for your life remains the same, and he's got backup plans when you turn the wrong way. He's not afraid of that. Draw near to him, and you will know the true purpose for your life. The Lord teaches us what to do with our freedom. We are both free in Christ and working out our freedom. You're becoming who you are. You're already, God already knows who you are. You're becoming that. And the closer we get to God, the more we find out who we are. Do not be afraid of his presence. Do not be afraid of who he is. Draw near to him. What I love most about God's presence, for me personally, when I've experienced God's presence, it hasn't necessarily been in a church service. It has been sometimes, but I experience his presence in real time as well. But every time I have, it's been transformative. It's ever accessible. I could walk out, I could have no experience with him right now and walk out of here in 10 minutes and have an experience with him, and that's okay. I'm ready for his presence at any point in time. He's omnipresent. Don't get me wrong, God's everywhere. But his manifest presence can drop down at any time and, and speak to me. He can speak to me through one of you. He can speak to me in my spirit. Either way, I'm accessible to him. I'm on the altar. I'm ready to stop whatever I need to do with my life, and I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. Take me there. I'm on the altar. I'm ready to hear. So his, his presence is transformative. And for me, I, in his presence, I've experienced true agape love. And it's where I learned that there's a plan for my life, and there's a plan for your life as well. And I was, I was transplanted from my plan for my life into God's plan. And that happened from the head to the heart in his presence. In his presence, I, I, it was firmly established in me my sonship. He's my father. And I am a son of the one true king. And that is, that's my identity. I'm not a father, a husband, a principal. I'm a son of the king. That's my first identity. And that was transplanted into my heart in his presence. Another piece of my story, um, my conscience, he cleared my conscience in his presence. Uh, I was sitting around a table with my sister one time. It's like the Holy Spirit came out of nowhere. And I was, um, I had a critical spirit. That was something that I struggled with growing up. Um, it's like something arose inside of me that I couldn't control. I, I believe it was some sort of like generational type of curse thing. Um, and it was something that 
would not go away until I could cut down somebody. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced something that they just cannot get past. Um, but the Holy Spirit stepped in in our time and broke it, like right then. And it was one of the sweetest moments of my life around a, around a table outside. Um, and I've also experienced continual repentance. Um, metanoia is the Greek word, which is a change of your mind. And every time we experience repentance, I think that's when I'm in the Lord's presence. Uh, when I'm called out for something, doing something that's very old, old man Corey, not like I'm old, which I guess I am now, but like my old man, like when that starts to rise back up and I get called out and I change my mind when my wife calls me out and uh, I don't hold her voice in contempt and I let it arise and speak to me the way that a husband should, um, God steps in at that moment and changes my mind and it takes me to a different, a different plane, a different glory. I think that's what it means when it says like takes us, takes us from glory to glory is I'm becoming my new man. I'm becoming who I'm supposed to be. Um, when I have to repent for mishandling my children, um, I feel like that's when God steps in um, and his presence is, is there. I can feel it. Sometimes I can't, but a lot of times I can. It's cool. Um, when, I'm, when I'm not a good neighbor and I have to repent, or when I'm not a good supervisor, a supervisor, any leader should be bringing people up, empowering people. And if I don't do that, I have to repent because that's the kind of supervisor I want to be. So this is where the truth has set me free. Um, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. My desire, and as I invite the worship team up right now, my desire in speaking this morning, guys, is the point of the tabernacle, the point of the Old Testament was God's presence. And I know I spoke very quickly this morning, and that was intentional, because I want to get out of the way, and I just want the Lord to speak to you this morning. And maybe I said something that meant something to you, and maybe I didn't. But again, I hope that some of this information plus the Holy Spirit resting upon you will give you some revelation because that's what sticks with you. The revelation in my life is what has stuck with me over the years. It's not, you're going to forget this sermon in five seconds once you leave here. and That's okay. I want God to teach you something or I want somebody to be prayed for that maybe if you struggle with something, my, one of my greatest desires is freedom in Christ. One of my greatest desires is that his people are set free. And if you need prayer for that, my wife and I will be praying for people, and it may not be freedom. You may be, you know, need prayer for something else. But we're gonna we're gonna have two songs. I, I messed up the entire arrangement earlier. I messed up the entire arrangement. We did one song, and now we're doing two, whereas we normally do three. I want the culmination today to be about God's presence. I don't want the culmination to be about my sermon because I can't say anything that's gonna change your life. I want you to take some time, go wherever you need to go, posture yourself however you need to posture yourself. Go reconcile with somebody you need to reconcile with. Worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. If you need prayer, we'll have prayer people up here. I don't know if that's their official name, prayer people. And just take this time and ask the Lord what it is on your heart, what it is on your spirit that he wants to work through with you right now. Draw near to him. Do not be, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to draw near to him. Come close. Holy Ghost, come close. Holy Ghost, come close. Thank you.